Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17, so if you have your Bibles, you can, you can begin opening up to that. Perhaps you would agree with me, I, I find it difficult to read these verses that we've been going over in 1 Kings on the, with regards to the story of Elijah without kind of feeling a little bit bad for him. <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> we will begin at verse 17. 1 Kings 17, we'll be picking it up at verse 17. It's difficult to kind of not be feeling bad about this guy, even though he's a, he's a prophet of the Lord, dedicated to the core. He underwent a time of extreme hardship. Wouldn't you agree? From a human perspective, it seems terribly unfair for the guy. We would think that his holy and obedient life should have been rewarded and not tested. But God had other plans. And let me just pause for a moment. I think it's the other plans that we struggle with. You know what I'm saying? Because we've got our plans, we've got our will, and God's got his, and sometimes they clash, and that's where the struggle can be. Elijah went to Kareth. Remember, that place meant the cutting place where God began the work of cutting away on the prophet's life, such as his pride and self-reliance. Then he was sent to a widow's home in Zarephath, which meant literally that term in the Hebrew meant to melt or to refine. In the noun form, meant crucible. As his training and preparation would be intensified with two pretty good tests. We covered the first test last week, which was the miracle of the flour and the oil in the widow's food pantry never, ever running out. You remember that? Today, we're going to look at the most difficult test of them all, perhaps, the death of the widow's son. And God used this situation as a final examination, if you will, before taking Elijah back out of hiding and placing him back into the ring, so to speak, back in front of Ahab. It seems that Elijah's life is marked by one trial after another. They just keep coming. He can't get away from them. If one didn't know any better, one might start to think that Elijah is being punished for something. Of course, the Bible teaches us something completely different. God isn't punishing. He is not correcting his prophet. He is changing him and transforming him instead, bringing about a truer, clearer, sharper image of God. And don't you know that that is what he is about in our own lives? Don't say amen. <laughs> but that is exactly what he is doing in us. That is what he is up to. Remember, as we have said, he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Amen. And so he brings about those things that will bring into our lives as well 
a sharper image of who he is. The Lord is teaching Elijah lessons that can't be learned in any other way than by trial and difficulty and through the crucible. You see, it's in the storms of life that we learn that God really can walk on the waves. It's then that we learn that he is with us every step of the way, never leaving us, always there by our said. These are the things that Elijah is learning. And they will serve him well in the very near future as God is preparing Elijah to stand for him in an extremely powerful way. One of the difficult aspects of the Christian life are those times of trial and suffering. Would you agree with me on that? When trials come into our lives, many times they, they hit like a lightning bolt, quick and unexpected, and they pack quite a punch. If you have been a Christian for a while, you know that believers don't go through just one trial and then it's all over, said, and done. Don't you wish? <laughs> but it is not the case, is it? They, they continue to come. They continue to come one after the other. <laughs> you know the old saying that lightning doesn't strike twice? Well, we have learned in terms of trial that it doesn't only strike twice. It'll hit three, four, five times more over and over and over and over again. So how are we as followers of Christ to respond when the tests and the trials and the lightning strikes hit? And how can we respond in, in such a way that allows us to receive and learn what God is wanting to teach and do in our own lives? Well, let's pick it up at the very first three words of verse 17. 1 Kings 17, verse 17. It starts off with, some time later. The New King James Version puts it like this. Now, it happened after these things. Well, what things we are left asking, right? Well, the things referring to here are his first appearance before Ahab, announcing the drought, his seclusion at the Kareth Brook, where the reshaping of his life initially began, experiencing a dried-up brook, his move to Zarephath for additional refinement, and his encounter with a widow and her son. And so it was after these things, another test came, perhaps, as I said a moment ago, the greatest of them all. Let's read on, picking up with the rest of verse 17 on into 18. So sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Keep in mind that Elijah has seen something similar before with the diminishing drying up of the brook. For a person of lesser faith, that would have meant to that person death as the water is going to be diminished, no more water eventually drying up even one's life. So he's kind of been here before. He's seen this, and now he's watching, along with this widow, the life of her son slipping away. 
Even though the widow has experienced a miracle already in her home, we see here that she's not insulated from further difficulties and problems. And we are not told what caused the sickness that led to the death, but in her frustration, we find her here lashing out at Elijah in sarcasm. And if you didn't read it that way, you need to, because she is being sarcastic towards Elijah here, accusing him of causing the death of her son. She mistakenly felt that she was being chastised because of some sin in her life and that somehow the presence of the prophet had exposed her sin and now is paying the price by the death of her son. Let us be reminded this morning that God's ways do not always make sense from the, a human point of view. Would you agree? How many have found that to be true? Yet even when the Lord's ways don't make sense, what we need to, again, be reminded of here this morning, here and now, that we can, even though we can, trust Him. Yeah? He is worthy of our trust. He is God. And He has only good in store and in mind for us. We can trust Him. When he does what we think is unusual or maybe even contradictory, it is merely to open the door for him to reveal himself to us in a new and powerful way. He does it so that we might experience his grace in a new and fresh way. He does it so that we might be brought to a place of complete, total dependence upon him. When the Lord has brought you low, please hear me. In those times when it seems like the Lord has brought you low, learn early to look up. Amen. Learn early to look up at him, your redeemer, your provider, your God. Therefore, regardless of the problem or the trial, it is incredibly important that we learn to walk with our eyes on our God, to trust Him, because He will take care of every situation. Evidently, this is the only son that this poor widow had, and I think we can safely assume that she has placed all of her hopes for the future on Him. And by that, I mean no doubt she was looking to the day when He would grow up and become a man Himself, go out and earn a living and take care of her in her later years. During my study, I came across something that I, I thought was pretty interesting. And I, I will tell you now, I had no way of checking into this that I'm going to share with you to affirm how accurate it all is. But I wanted to bring it to you anyway because it, it serves as such a great illustration of what we're covering here. This is what I found. It says, you can catch a wild buzzard and put him in an open pen that's, let's say, six by six feet, and he will die there. He cannot fly away. Why? Because a buzzer needs at least a 12-foot runway to take off. Interesting. Take a bat, place him on the ground, and he will flop around there until he can flop no more. Why? 
He can only achieve flight from an elevated position. He must launch out into the air from that elevated position. Take a bumblebee and put him in a tumbler, leave the top open, and that bee will never find his way out. He is so interested in trying to fly through the glass in front of him, he will never think to look up and find his way out. What is the point? <laughs> all three of these, the buzzard, the bat, and the bee, all fail to notice the freedom that is right above them. Isn't that a great illustration? <laughs> I love that. As a result, they remain trapped. It appears the widow thought God was correcting her, and in the process, hurting her, what she failed to see was that God was, in fact, helping her. We're that way, too, aren't we? We miss the help that God is trying to give us while we focus on the pain and the hurt that we feel in our hearts. And the answer to, the, to life's storms is found simply in just looking up looking to our God and doing that early and doing that always. Verse 19, this is Elijah's response to her. It's such a great one. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Try as best as you can to imagine this scene. There she stands, tears streaming down her face, holding the body of her son in her arms. And then at that moment, and I, and I see this and I sense this as a, as a tender moment. I mean, obviously, it's emotional, highly charged, right, emotionally. But in that moment, Elijah just holds out his arms and says, give me your son. There the woman stands holding the lifeless body of her only son. Her world has come crashing down. And Elijah just simply says, give him to me. Isn't that what our God continues to say to us over and over again? Just come to me. Bring me your hurt. Bring me your pain. Bring me your struggles. Bring me your life. Just, and his arms are extended. Picture them like this at the cross. And they are continually, even now, extended towards us. Just bring your life to me. I've got it. I'll take care of it. He says, just give him to me. There is something here that I think really stands out and impresses. And it's the silence of Elijah. It seems to, he seems to know and understand that nothing he could say in this moment will satisfy this hurting, grieving mother. No words can soothe her broken heart and her broken spirit. And we also notice that he doesn't argue with her. He is the picture of calmness. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't attack 
back. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't try to reason with her. He doesn't remind her of how she owes him or of how ashamed she should be for blaming him. He just simply extends his arms and says, here, give him to me. Pause for a moment to realize that Elijah is again in a situation that at least from a human perspective, he doesn't deserve the blame that has come at him. He has obeyed God by going to Ahab, to Kareth, to Zarephath. He has done exactly as the Lord has instructed him. He's trusted God, and now he's receiving the brunt of this woman's blame. Swindoll writes, it seems like, God sometimes puts us in a vice, <laughs> and then he tightens and tightens and tightens even more. And we think in the pain of, and I love how he words this, in the pain of his sovereign squeeze. <laughs> what is he trying to do to me? We think we, we're, we're walking closer than ever. I don't think we could, I could ever walk closer. But more tests come, seemingly one on top of the other. Folks, that's where Elijah is, but he doesn't waver. He stands steadfast and yet silent in the shadow of God's presence, grounded in faith, confident of his Lord's power. Church, that is humility at its very best. After all that he has been through, he's not questioned God, and he doesn't start to do that now. He doesn't fall apart at the seams. He doesn't panic. He doesn't reach for a bottle or a drug. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't argue with the woman. He just simply says, with quiet compassion, give me your boy. I am also quite impressed with this widow woman. She's grieving. She's a grieving mother, and even though she has lashed out at Elijah, do you notice here that she, without question, without hesitation, places her precious yet lifeless son into the prophet's arms. Perhaps Elijah's gentleness and compassion suddenly melts her and prompts her to once again trust. And in doing so, I believe giving tangible evidence of a budding faith in the one true living God that she has seen displayed in Elijah. Equally as impressive is the fact that this born and raised pagan Gentile <laughs> does something that a lot of professing believers struggle to do. She literally hands over her burden to the prophet of the Lord. Are you catching my drift there? We like to hang on to ours, don't we? We think we can handle it. We love control. She hands the burden over to Elijah. 
Then Elijah silently climbed the stairway, and if you're thinking that this woman's got a two-story home, probably not. It's probably like a um, Galilean home. It, it was a room that he had, but it was on the upstairs of the house. The stairs would have been on the outside of the house. So picture that as he's going back out the house, up those stairs, to where he was staying above the house on, on the roof. That was probably where his room is. So he climbs the stairway to the room where he had been staying. And I think, without a doubt, where he has been doing battle on his knees before God on a regular basis, probably something that he had developed, a habit he had developed, going back to Kareth as he watched that stream begin to dwindle and diminish. Here's my question to us. Do we have a room like that? Do you have a place that you can go to on a regular basis and get along with God and do business with Him? You see, because if you don't, when those storms come, guess what? I think you know the answer to that. We need God, and we need to spend those times with Him on a regular basis in that special place. And if you don't have one, I want to so encourage you to establish something where you have a place that you can go and be alone with God. Because it will be there that you will be prepared for life's carrots and zarephaths and even the Mount Carmels that come our way. Without it, you will lack the necessary steel that you will need in the foundation of your faith. What do you do when tragedy strikes? What do you do when a test comes, especially one that you don't think you deserve? What's your first response? Is it to complain, to be angry, to blame, to try and reason your way out of it, or have you formed the habit of doing what Elijah did? Do you go to your special place and get alone with your God. Let's read on, verse 20 through 22 now. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. <laughs> so not only is this miracle amazing, but to me just as amazing is Elijah that he even thinks to do this. You see, raising someone back from death, as far as we know and from Scripture, has not happened yet. In other words, Elijah didn't have a precedent set for him in Scripture to follow. God, just as you did such and such for so and so, could you do it here now again for us here? He doesn't have that. 
The closest thing you even come to it is found in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, and it's the story of Enoch, but he didn't die, did he? He just, God just took him. <laughs> so what is Elijah thinking here? How does he dare ask God to do such an unprecedented thing? Listen, church, God has never claimed to provide a record of everything that he has ever done. Could you imagine? These Bibles of ours wouldn't be able to contain it all. I don't know that any library in the world could contain it all. He's never claimed to be able to do that and, or that he has done that. And, and I think what's so interesting about this and why this can be wonderful for us is that by our not knowing everything that he has done, we won't get locked in on how God did something in the past, but rather and instead focused on the God who was fresh and alive and creative and real and able to meet today's need today. Yes, we are to be encouraged by the workings of God in the past, but they are intended to build our faith for the God of today, for the God of now. Thankfully, in His Word, God does include principles to follow in most predicaments, but not a precise procedure in all difficult or impossible situations. God leaves us on the cutting edge of today so that we will trust Him and the principles that He has provided for us in His Word. It's all that we have, church. But would you agree with me? It is more than enough. Yeah? More than enough. Look at verse 23 with me now. It says, Elijah picked up the child and carrying him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. When Elijah carried the child up the steps, all he had in his arms was a dead body. But when he comes back down, he's got a living miracle. Notice what Elijah does not say. Hey, look at what I did. <laughs> it's not what we find here. It's not what Elijah does. He just simply walked down the stairs with the boy. And I picture him coming down those stairs. He says he's carried him, and he sets him down in front of his all on his own two feet. And what do you picture happening at that point? You know what I see? I see a son and mom embracing. <laughs> and once again, tears streaming, but now tears of joy. Look, he says, your son is alive. I think words fail to describe the feelings of the mother or the experience between mother and child in this moment. I am sure that all Elijah wants here is for the woman to see the Lord God, and that is it. I have no problem imagining Elijah when she has presented the son 
kind of stepping back into the shadows so that all she sees is God and not his servant. I have no problem seeing that at all. Look at verse 24 now. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. When the woman saw that her son was alive, I don't think she sees Elijah. She sees the Lord God. Elijah, I've heard you talk about the God of heaven. I've heard you refer to him in various ways. I've heard you cry out to him in the upstairs room. But now when I look at this miracle, I know that you speak the truth, that Jehovah Elohim is the truth, the one true living God. There is no other. Folks, the God of Elijah just so happens to be your God too. He is still the God of impossible situations. He is still, he still does what no earthly individual can do. Trust him because, as I like to say, that's the kind of God that we serve. Elijah approached the impossible with the calmness and contentment, with gentleness and self-control, with faith and humility. Elijah was obviously heroic in faith, but he remained an amazing model of humility. Around us every day are people who are looking for the truth to be lived out in the lives of those who claim it. Amen? And so just as the widow was watching Elijah, there are people who are watching you. I think it is therefore paramount that what they see isn't the old you, but Jesus in the new transformed you, the redeemed you. Are there areas in your life that need to be laid out on the bed of your life? Brokenness, a scarred past, the emptiness of poor character traits, the habits and addictions that have for so long controlled you, the anger or violence or lust or greed or discontentment or selfishness or the ugliness of pride. Lay all these before the Father and stretch yourself out under the shadow of his presence and power as you ask him to bring about a remarkable, amazing, miraculous change into your life. Dying to ourselves, rising up with new life in Christ. We ourselves becoming living, walking miracles and testimonies to the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is able. He is the God of impossibilities. He is the one with limitless power who has never 
and will never meet anything or anyone he cannot overcome. Elijah lived out his belief in God. How about you and I do the same? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your faith. Thank you that you are our God and that we belong to you and that you have called us, you have saved us, and you have an amazing plan for our lives. Lord, I just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts and draw us unto you. And Lord, may we continue to find ourselves desiring you more, loving you more, and just open to you more to come do whatever it is you're wanting to do in us and through us so that we would be walking, living miracles, testimonies to your resurrection power. We thank you, God, for this. May you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives day after day, come what may. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.